Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. When your identity is in Him, 
No criticism can change who you are. No failing can shake it. And no lists can ever determine it. Never, ever, ever give any adversity permission to be your identity. And I just thought this was such a fitting quote for tonight's broadcast. Because if you've gone through adversity or are going through it, remember that it doesn't define who you are. God defines who you are. So my hope this evening is that you'll come to know how much the Lord loves you and how valuable you are to him. And that you'll no longer look to others to determine your worth or value. Because when we do look to others, we have the risk of becoming people pleasers. And that's a whole other topic that I've talked about in the past. But bottom line is people pleasing is an unhealthy uh, issue that causes a lot more harm than good and also leads people into codependency. So many believers are just ignorant of everything that they have inherited as children of the king. They just simply maybe haven't taken the time to study it or haven't heard about this topic before. Because when you accept Christ into your heart, um, you're saved immediately. Your salvation is instant, but your sanctification process, which is the process of becoming more and more like Christ, takes place over your lifetime. And so when you accepted him into his heart, you were adopted into his kingdom and you received a new parentage and a new bloodline and all the blessings that come along with that. Some people, as a result of their upbringing, grow up believing that sadly they have no value or that they don't measure up or maybe even that they're unlovable. Um, Some things that are spoken over to Uh, children can harm and wound them for long periods of time. Uh, Parents that tell their children you'll never amount to anything or um, don't even bother trying, you're never going to succeed. These are all things that can become self-fulfilling prophecies in that child's life when he or she becomes an adult. And what we want are not self-fulfilling prophecies like this, We want these types of words to be self-nullifying. In other words, we don't want these things to come to pass. Well, how do you change that around if that's all you've heard all your life? The answer to that and the antidote is to really learn who you are in Christ. And that's what we're focusing on tonight. So if things like what I just referred to were spoken over you as a child, and if you have tended to live down to that, Knowing who you are in the Lord can completely change this around for you and transform your life. So be encouraged tonight. Also, be so careful with your words. The the scripture tells us that the power of death and life is in the tongue. And we need to be so cautious because speaking those types of things over others, especially when they're young and impressionable, um, really can set them up for so much uh, detriment and anxiety and even failure um, when once they become adults because a false belief system has been set up um, through words spoken like this. So uh, to start out tonight, I'm going to read for you a few randomly selected statements from Scripture regarding who you are in the Lord. 
So try to pay attention to what happens to you spiritually as you listen and receive these in your heart, not just in your mind. So I don't want this to be an intellectual exercise for you where you're analyzing it. What I'm really hoping for is that I read these, that you're able to take these truths and move them from your intellect and your mind all the way down into your heart. So please listen and try to really receive these into your heart as I read them for you. You are accepted in the beloved. You are part of the true vine, a channel of Christ's life. You are Christ's friend. You are not a slave to fear, but a slave of righteousness. You are a joint heir with Christ, sharing his inheritance with him. You are united to the Lord and are one spirit with him. You are an heir of God and a holy partaker of a heavenly calling. You are a righteous person and you are holy. You are God's workmanship, born anew in Christ to do his work. You are a fellow citizen with the rest of God's family. You are a new creation. You are a temple, a dwelling place of God. You are one of God's living stones being built up in Christ as a spiritual house. You are a partaker of Christ and you share in his life. You are born of God and the evil one cannot touch you. You are chosen by God, holy and dearly loved. So just let those sink in for a moment. These are the truths of who you really are, despite what might have been spoken over you or said to you during the course of your life. I'd like to challenge you this evening now with a question. We are children of the King. Therefore, which of these most honors our Savior? Failing to claim our rights and even doubting that they belong to us, or asserting our privilege as children of God's royal family and claiming the rights that accompany our inheritance. Remember that God wants us to claim all that we have and all that we are in him, so it honors him when we do so. He allowed his own son to die on the cross so that we could have an inheritance like this. And maybe some people might be thinking right now, well, I'd be really prideful if I believed all these verses and all these statements about myself. But my response to that is, no, actually you'd be defeated if you didn't. You're not who you are in Christ because of anything you have done. You are who you are in Christ because of what he has done for you and because of his finished work on the cross. And when you view it from that perspective, you realize that these scriptures that I've been reading you, uh, uh, reading to you, and mentioning to you, are not um, to come from a, a platform or a foundation um, such that you could boast or be prideful. It's only 
through what Christ has already done for us that we're able to state this. But like I said, it's so important that we do receive these truths and live from them because God sent his own son to enable us to do that very thing. So it honors him. He wants us to take hold of our inheritance of him, in him. The way to get these truths from your head and into your heart, or one of the best ways, I should say, is to write out a few of the scripture verses on identity in Christ. And you can look those up on your own simply by searching, even on just uh, Google search engines about identity in Christ. It's very much in public domain. Um, And then recording them and speaking them out loud every morning instead of just reading them uh, from your notebook or from your Bible, your journal in your head. So reading aloud and focusing on verses that affirm your value in Christ also serves to renew your mind. And we've talked on uh, several previous broadcasts about the importance of renewing your mind and what it really means to do that. So Colossians 3 verse 10 says, And having put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of his creator. So it's stressing again the importance of putting on our new self. When it comes to knowing who we are and the truth of it, it's so crucial that we not only understand at an intellectual level that we have a new identity, but we also live it from our heart. And so when you read it out loud, the truths of who you are, you're practicing a double reinforcement of that truth because you're not only reading it, and, and renewing your mind with it, but you're also speaking it out loud and hearing yourself say it. So it's coming in through two different means that way, and the likelihood that you will remember what you're reading and saying um, is then doubled because it's being done from both perspectives. So this verse from Colossians 3 that I just read makes it clear that how we formerly identified ourselves before we accepted Christ no longer applies. We were born into this world physically alive but spiritually dead because of the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden. But the moment that we accepted Christ into our hearts, we became spiritually alive. And to be alive means that your soul and spirit are now in union with God. The New Testament repeatedly states that we are in Christ and that Christ is in us. It's this life in Christ that gives us our essential identity. So it's so critical that we realize that we are no longer products of our past. No more shame or of our old nature. This, the mistakes that we have made in our past need not be constantly haunting or condemning us. The word says that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus according to God's word. So I'd like to share a sample prayer with you now as just an example to help you focus on how God sees you. And it might sound something like this. And again, this is just an example. It's definitely not a formula or anything along those lines. Father God, 
I confess that my focus has been on me and on myself and how I see myself and also on how others may see me, but not on how you see me. Show me with your Holy Spirit so that through your power, I can change my focus to how you see me and your will for my life. Remind me that you are the true vine and that I am one of your branches. I cannot bear good fruit unless I remain in you. Let me never forget that apart from you, I can do nothing. Amen. So it's just good to remind ourselves of our new identity. And a prayer like this can be very effective in doing so. And once again, it's not meant to be legalistic or a formula. It's just an example of a way that you can pray to keep the concept of your identity in Christ fresh and at the forefront of your mind and in your prayer life, um, helping you to remember to ask God to walk out all of the truths that he says that you are. So God's word gives us a basis for a balanced and an accurate self-esteem. In God's word, we learn that we are not to think too highly of ourselves. However, we are also not to think too lowly of ourselves. As Paul says in Romans 12:3, we are to think soberly of ourselves, which means with sound judgment realizing that God has made each of us to be unique and different from the next person. We've all been given special personality and abilities, talents, and characteristics. The more comfortable we are, the more confident we are in who God made us to be, the more secure we will feel. And therefore, the less that we'll feel the need to compensate for low self-esteem with self-focus and self-centeredness and pride. So a healthy self-image is seeing yourself as God sees you, no more and no less. I also want to stress that you focus on being a first-class version of yourself, not a second-class version of someone else. Comparison is a sure killer of contentment. Once you begin to look around you instead of or more so than you look upwards towards Christ and you compare yourself with others, maybe where they're at with their walk in the Lord or what ministry service they're doing or any one of a number of factors, you're setting yourself up for being discontent because God has not called you to run your race against other people. He has called you to run your race on your own to reach the finish line for him. So you don't need to involve yourself with comparing yourself in the lives uh, to the lives of other people. Now, certainly there can be role models and mentors that serve to help us and that we can um, aspire to uh, learn how to reach levels of maturity through their help. But we never need to put anyone up on a pedestal, and nor do we need to view or deem them as superior to us um, because God does not call us to compare. If we're going to compare ourselves with anything, it should be 
how are we doing in comparison to who he says we are in his word? So that's just a, a quick refresher on the reminder that comparison kills contentment for the believer. There are a series of false beliefs that challenge us and tend to make it more difficult for us to believe the truth of who we are in Christ. And I want to name just four of these false beliefs now so that you can start to recognize them and to see if they're at work in your own life. Be thinking about which of these applies to you as I read and explain them. One false belief is, I must meet certain standards in order to feel good about myself. The consequences of this false belief can be the fear of failure, perfectionism, withdrawal from taking risks, and manipulating others to make it look like we have succeeded. God's solution to this is that we are already fully pleasing to him just based upon who we are. We no longer need to fear failure. By the way, along these same lines, some people also fear success. They're kind of two sides of the same coin. If you don't feel worthy of good things or of succeeding, you may subconsciously sabotage progress to reinforce the false belief system that you're not worthy of anything good in your life, for example. This is really a complex process that can happen in full, and most of it is subconscious. A second false belief that some people hold is, I must have the approval of certain other people in my life in order to feel good about myself. The consequence of this belief is obviously someone who becomes a people pleaser out of fear of rejection, being overly sensitive to criticism, and withdrawing in order to self-protect and avoid disapproval. And this is probably the most common issue that I see in my practice with patients in terms of people having relational difficulties with others, and that is the fear of rejection. In 20-plus years of practice, almost every patient I have seen has struggled with this at one level or another. The enemy is relentless in his use of the fear of rejection against believers in so many cases. And combine that with the fact that a fear of an abandonment can accompany a fear of rejection. So these issues can go all the way back to very early childhood and are typically quite difficult to extricate um, by just doing a short amount of work with a person. And it's really true that the enemy wounds us when we are young in order to plant seeds, hoping that we will walk out a path that is other than our destiny and God's um, foreordained will for our lives. So the enemy will try to wound us through other people, other kids, or authority figures when we're young, and sometimes even when we are pre-verbal. Uh, in other words, before we're even able to really express how we feel about something. And as a result, a child being told certain things or being treated a certain way ends up internalizing and stuffing all of those negative emotions, which can lead to shame and all kinds of other debilitating issues later in life. So some indications of a fear of rejection 
are as follows. And again, as I read this, think about what, if any, may apply to yourself because these are indicative of a root of rejection that the Lord longs to pull out of your heart. If you're ashamed of who you are or how you look, caring too much about what others think, constantly comparing yourself to others, as I previously mentioned, feeling like God can't use you, feeling like you would be the last one God would choose for anything, being easily intimidated, feeling that others are unfair to you, feeling unable to express love and affection, wanting to be alone and isolating yourself from contact with others, letting people take advantage of you or cross your boundaries, mistrusting other people, never feeling like you belong anywhere, not feeling acceptable, having perfectionistic tendencies, and when you don't meet up to your own standards, you may be very hard on yourself and use self-condemnation. So I imagine that most of us can identify at least in part with some of these at some point in our lives. But the good news is that we are completely and totally accepted by God. Listen now to how much God loves you and values you. Jesus says in Matthew 10, 39, I'm sorry, 29 to 31, are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin, and yet not one of them falls to the ground apart from your heavenly Father? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore. You are of much more value than many sparrows. What a sense of security these, these words bring in this, in this verse. Our God knows us so well that the hairs on our head are even numbered. And he loves us so much that he sent his son Jesus to bring us abundant life here on earth and eternal life in the world to come. That is amazing love and pure acceptance. So I want to conclude now with the last two false beliefs that people commonly fall into. Number three is that those who fail are unworthy of love and deserve punishment. The consequences of this type of thinking is the fear of punishment, possibly punishing others before they can punish us. This is also called preemptive punishment. Blaming others when you fail or having a legalistic spiritual life. God's solution to this, though, is his grace and that we learn not only to understand what that grace means, but how to walk in it in our daily lives. When we can truly grasp the grace of God, it frees us from so much wrong thinking. And the final false belief I'd like to mention this evening is a belief system that's surrounded by a victim mentality. In other words, it might look something like this. I am what I am. I can't change. I'm hopeless. I'll never be able to achieve any of my goals or my dreams. And the unfortunate results of thinking and feeling this way can lead to a sense of inferiority, destructive habits, being dragged down into despair, and possibly even depression. 
And God says, though, that we have been made brand new and complete in Christ. We no longer need to experience the pain of shame. And speaking of shame, I hate what shame does to people, and I see the effects of it in the lives of my patients that God brings to me at my practice. Shame is very possibly one of the most difficult emotions to work with because it goes straight to a person's identity. And what I mean by this is guilt, for example, says I did something wrong, but shame says I am wrong. Shame goes to a sense that a person is flawed or defective in some way, and that becomes the gateway into hopelessness. The enemy wounds us when we're young, as I just mentioned, and maybe some of you have felt shamed all the way back to your growing up years in kindergarten or perhaps even sooner. When shame happens to a child who is preverbal, as I mentioned before, at an age where they can't express their emotions yet, that shame gets buried and they develop a sense of something being wrong with them. That can be reinforced reinforced inadvertently by a parent or an authority figure who says, what's wrong with you or what's the matter with you? Or worse, they may say, shame on you. When my patients tell me about their experiences along these lines, I always say back to them, shame off of you and let's look at what is right with you the phrase what's wrong with you along with expectations placed on you on how you should feel or shouldn't feel or should act or shouldn't think or should think can bring about more shame on a child than the child knows what to do with And these may sound like small things, but they wind up becoming very big issues when, as an adult, that person is no longer functioning at the level that God intended for him or her because they're so bogged down in this idea that there's something uh, inevitably and, and irreparably wrong with them. So I'd like to now um, share with you briefly Uh, a positive declaration which kind of sums up who we are in Christ. And once again, try to let this drop from your head into your heart, what I always call the longest 18 inches from your head to your heart. So try to take this into your heart. Because of Christ's redemption, I am a new creation of intimate worth and infinite worth. I am deeply loved. I'm completely forgiven. I am fully pleasing, and I am totally accepted by God. I am absolutely complete in Christ. There has never been another person like me in the history of the world, nor will there ever be. God has made me an original, a -a one-of-a-kind, special person, and I am his masterpiece. So remember that when people come against you, or the enemy shoots fiery darts to accuse you that you truly are God's masterpiece. And in closing tonight, let me read you just one more piece of encouragement related to your identity in Christ as it pertains to you being accepted by God. And Romans 15:7 says, 
that accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. One of the most important needs we have as human beings is to know that we are accepted. The need for acceptance is so strong that at times we will go to great lengths to find it. So often we stand in judgment of others when what we each actually need is just to be accepted for who we are. When we desire to be accepted by another person or a group, we place ourselves in a somewhat vulnerable position because their acceptance of us can take on an elevated level of importance such that if we are rejected, it can feel devastating. In contrast, Christ met people right where they were. He didn't expect them to have their act together when they encountered him. Jesus merely accepted people unconditionally, holding out his loving hand to pull them to himself. For human beings, though, this type of pure and unconditional acceptance of others is very elusive. No person can demonstrate it perfectly, and because of this, many people get hurt and take offense, searching for other avenues of acceptance and ways to fit in, no matter how unhealthy those options might be. In addition, some people, when fearing or expecting rejection, will go so far as to sabotage a relationship before the other person has a chance to reject them first. And in my psychotherapy practice, I call this preemptive rejection. In other words, it is making a choice to reject someone else before they can reject you because it won't seem as painful. This is an example of our desire to self-protect instead of letting God do it for us, and it accomplishes nothing but the building of walls around our hearts. The best and first place to seek acceptance is to go to God. As is stated in Romans 15:7, we already have his acceptance. The very things we search for in this world are already provided for us by the one who is intimately acquainted with all of our deepest needs. Knowing and living out the truth that we are accepted by God and that this is our true identity in Christ can be the solid rock beneath our feet to see ourselves as fully accepted in him. So I encourage you tonight to stop living for acceptance. You already have it from the one who matters most. That's all the time that we've got left tonight, and I hope that you now have a better understanding of who you truly are in Christ and all that you've inherited in him. I'd like to take a moment and close us in prayer. Father God, we just thank you for all who are listening this evening, Lord God, and I pray that this message on the importance of our knowing who we are in you will resonate in hearts all across the globe, Lord God. We pray, Lord, for you to minister to each heart in your own way to bring the truths of who they are in you and bring those truths deeply into the innermost chambers of their heart, that it would be a healing balm against any words that may have been spoken to harm them, against false belief systems, against um, 
twisted perceptions of who they are or maybe having been defined by the world instead of defined by you, God. Just let this message tonight bring encouragement and hope, Lord, and healing to places where people may have lost their true sense of self and may not even know who they are to some extent, Lord God. I ask that you would show them that by your word they would know who they are, Lord God, and how special they are and how loved they are by you. Lord, we thank you for this privilege and opportunity, and I pray that the word spoken tonight would bear much good fruit going forward in the lives of all who are listening. We give you all the glory, honor, and praise, and we ask this in your glorious and holy name. Amen. So thank you so much for listening this evening. I hope you'll join me again in two weeks for my next broadcast. If you'd like to contact me directly at Healing Word, please feel free to call 414-254-9862 or visit my website at www.healing-word.com. Thank you again so much, and God's richest blessings be upon you.